Good morning, everyone, and welcome. I'm Don Walker, and you're tuned in to the Word of Life Radio Bible Study. I'm thrilled that we have another opportunity to gather around God's Word and to study again from the very words that God has provided for us, those words that we have revealed in His Bible. Last week, we had a study concerning the reason why Christ came to this earth. And you'll remember, if you were with us, that there were basically two reasons. He came, number one, to seek and save the lost. And the reason that he wanted to save the lost and provides opportunity for everyone in this world to leave that state of being lost and in be placed into a state of having fellowship with God is so that they could worship the king, so that they could glorify his name. And the second reason, of course, was that he came to be set up as king to reign as king and to represent the great sovereign Jehovah, the Father in heaven, and to represent him in that kingdom that he established, as we see in Acts chapter 2. If you were unable to join us last week in our study, we encourage you to contact us. In just a moment, you'll be given the contact information. You can call us, let us know that you desire to have a copy of last week's lesson, or any other lesson for that matter. We provide these free of charge. We can send you the CD. All you have to do is let us know of your request, let us know your address, and we'll send those to you. We also have other opportunities of Bible study, correspondence courses, and various uh, avenues of study of God's Word. And we would love to be able to do what we can to help you and assist you in your study of God's Word so that you can walk closer to God. But we're going to be building, as we mentioned, on the study that we studied last week. And we're going to be focusing on that idea of God as the great sovereign, God as the great king. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Good morning and welcome to the Word of Life Radio Bible Class, brought to you by the Southwest Church of Christ. We invite you to come and study God's Word with us today when we meet for Bible classes at 9.30 a.m., our morning worship at 10.30, and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening worship. You are cordially invited to attend any and all of these service times. You can write or call us to receive a copy of this broadcast on tape or CD. Our contact information is 8900 Manchac Road, Austin, Texas, 78748, and our phone number is 512-282-2486. You can also access this and other broadcasts at our website, www.swcfc.com. And now your host, Don Walker. Welcome back, everyone. In John chapter 18, when Jesus was being questioned by Pilate, Pilate asked him, Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus finally emphasized to him, It is for this reason that I have come. You and I understand that after he was obedient to the Father in all ways, and as he fulfilled the plan of the Father, he was crucified. But on the third day, by the power of God, he was proven to be the Son of God by his resurrection. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, we realize that he was raised to reign. And now he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14. He reigns as king over his kingdom. His kingdom is the church. As we see in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and following, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, where we see our brethren in Colossae were translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son, and even John the Apostle at the close of the first century was a part of this kingdom, as we see in Revelation 1 and verse 9. And so we see that Christ reigns as king, 
and all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. Matthew 28 and verse 18. And we recognize that that authority was given to him by the Father. Ephesians 1 verses 21 and 22. And so we see Christ is king, and we realize that he has authority over all things, whether they be things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. He has all authority over principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And he has authority over all with one exception. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we learn that the one that put all things in his subjection, under subjection to Christ, is the one that is exempt from his authority. He is the one who gives Christ the authority, and that, of course, is God the Father. Now, as we focus upon this, I want us to understand the relationship that we have with God as far as his being king and the nature that he possesses. And the fact that these truths concerning God lay upon us a responsibility. I want us to stop for a moment and consider the nature of Jehovah, the nature of God. And when I speak of Jehovah, I'm talking about Yahweh of the Old Testament. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about that one spiritual essence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. But as we consider as we consider the Old Testament and we study concerning God, we realize that though there is one divine spiritual essence that is God, one God, there are three personalities. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, of course, would be language from the New Testament. And as we consider the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we go through the Old Testament, we see that each one of them are referenced as Yahweh, as Jehovah, the self-existing eternal one. That's what Jehovah means. And as we consider Jehovah, we realize then we're talking about the Godhead, the one God. And when we look at the character of the Godhead, we could look at various qualities that are displayed from our God, Our God is rich in mercy. He has grace toward us. He's benevolent, as we see in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. We realize that our God is omnipresent, that He is everywhere, that there is nowhere that you or I can go to escape from Jehovah, Psalm 139. We know that God is omnipotent, that He is all-powerful. All we have to do is read the first two chapters of Genesis, see the creation record, Then consider what science has shown us concerning the vastness of all that exists, our universe, the universes that continue on and on. Man has not reached the outermost parts of creation. He has not found the boundaries of that which exists, and all of this existed simply by the Word of God. God said, let there be, and as we go through the creation account, we see that it is. And so we realize that God has all power. And we could go on and look at other areas. Romans chapter 11 and verse 22 speaks of the goodness and the severity of God. Goodness on those that do well, severity on those who do not. We know that our God is a just God and a righteous God. And when we break that down, we realize that there are certain qualities that emanate from that. Certain reactions or actions of God toward man because of the conduct of man. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, for example, 
says that Christ is going to return in vengeance with fire, in vengeance taking a vengeance on those who know not God and who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of the severity of God, part of the justice of God. In fact, the word vengeance is in the same family of Greek words that the word righteous comes from. And so it is a right thing to punish those who do not follow the law of the king, the law of the great sovereign. And all of these are qualities and characteristics of God. Someone says how terrible that is. They need to stop and reflect upon what God has done so man does not have to be punished. That God desires to reward man. That God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. As we see in Second Timothy chapter or First Timothy rather, chapter two and verse four. And so we look at all of these qualities of God and we realize that this is the king that we serve. Were we to compare the qualities of God to the qualities of the devil, it wouldn't take us long to realize that we really ought not to desire to be subjugated by Satan. Satan is a liar. He is a murderer from the beginning, John chapter 8 and verse 44. We see Satan does not care who it is that he will pull down with him. He desires to destroy every one and every soul. Where our God can make our souls alive, it's Satan that desires to kill our souls. And as we make the comparison, we realize that it would be foolish to want to serve Satan. It would be foolish to want to bow down to him as king because, number one, he's not king. And number two, he does not desire the best for us, but he always desires our destruction, our harm. But God, on the other hand, is a God of love and mercy. He's a God of power. He's a God who has gained the victory and offers the victory to man. And he's a God who wants the best for us always. And he wants us to be saved. And so we ought to bow down to the king. We ought to worship the king. If you will, open your Bibles with me to the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 99, we have a psalm that is a praise psalm. It's not a classic praise psalm in the sense that it has the classic structure where we see a call to praise in the first beginning of the psalm and then another call to praise in the end of the psalm. And in between, it sets forth qualities or characteristics of God of why he should be praised. But it's still a praise psalm nonetheless because it has the qualities that uh, we're called to worship him, we're called to bow down, and it sets forth the reason why. And I want us to take just a moment to consider an element or a quality of Jehovah that is praiseworthy, that is worthy of our worship. We begin in verse 1 of Psalm 99, reading from the King James Version. The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubim, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Now what I want us to focus on in these first uh, three verses is this. Number one, it begins, the psalm does, by emphasizing the fact that he is king, that he reigns. And then as this section closes, he says he ought to be praised. Why? Because he, his name, is holy. And he ought to be exalted because of that fact. Let's continue to read verse 4. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment in righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. 
Now I want you to notice again in this section, verses 4 through 5 emphasizes the same thing. It points out, number one, that he is king, calls him that, the king's strength. And then he goes on and says his quality, verse 5, for he is holy. And in between, as he does, he sets forth that quality of justice, that quality of equity that is there, the kind of king that we would want to serve that we should want to bow down to. We know he's going to do right. We know he's going to be consistent. We know he's going to tell us the truth. We know that he's always going to live in accordance and he's going to act in accordance with the truth that he reveals to us. The devil, on the other hand, we don't have that. The only certainty that we know concerning the devil is that it's uncertain. He'll lie to us. He'll deceive us. He'll try to draw us away. He wants destruction for us. He's a murderer, whereas God is a giver of life. Now let's continue on in verse 6. Moses and Aaron among his priests and Samuel among them that call upon his name, they called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answerest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them. Thou that tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. And so again, we see in a practical way this idea of the reign of the king. We're talking about men of God. We're talking about great men in the Bible. We talk about Moses. We talk about Aaron. We talk about Samuel. What did they do? They humbled themselves before the king. They subjected themselves to the king. Because of that, God was good toward them. That's what God promises. If we will humble ourselves before the creator, if we will bow down unto the king as we ought to, with an attitude that we should uh, bow down to him with that attitude, then he's going to bless us. And our God, he says again, is a holy God. It is a shame what our society has done concerning God and how our society looks at God and even looks at the quality of holiness. When we consider God and who he is, and then we look out across the, the horizon of mankind today, we realize that man does not have the reverence that he ought to have for the great creator. We recognize that man does not have the, the attitude and the homage that he ought to be providing for Jehovah because God created all things. We realize that men live as if there is no God in heaven. Men live as if they do not believe, in fact, they do not believe, that he is a God who is holy and a God who is worthy of praise. Even that idea of holiness has lost much of its meaning in our society. And men really do not have a grasp of what holiness truly is. And for that reason, you and I suffer. And even in the, the those who claim to be Christians, even those who claim to serve God and worship God and praise Him, oftentimes are approaching him in a very shallow way, a way that indicates that they neither neither do they rather understand the holiness of God and are much like people of the world in that element, in that area. And, and so we have a responsibility that if we're going to recognize God as king, which we should and must, and his son is king, then we're going to exalt them and we are going to recognize their holiness. 
And that is going to serve as a call. It's going to lay upon us a responsibility to worship him, to bow down before him. Now let's consider this for a moment. As we go through God's word, some of my favorite passages are passages that give us a glimpse into glory. They give us a glimpse into heaven, into the throne room of God. You go to Isaiah chapter 6 or Ezekiel chapter 1, and you have what are known as throne scenes that are revealed to you and me. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 was privileged to be able to look into the uh, area of God's dwelling. He was able to see that great throne that was there. He was able to see one sitting upon the throne. It's Jehovah. It's Yahweh that is there. John tells us in John chapter 12 that it's the second person of the Godhead. He's known as the Word, John 1 and verse 1. You and I know him as Jesus Christ, but he's Jehovah. He's God. And as we consider that chapter and we look at everything that unfolds, we see a man who understands the holiness of God, who has come really face to face with that holiness in this vision of the throne scene that he has. And as you go to Isaiah chapter 6 and you look at his response, you're going to see that he considers himself someone who is ill-prepared to stand before God. In fact, he says that I am an unclean person. I dwell among an unclean people. I'm an unclean person with unclean lips. In other words, I I have no right, I have no way, I have no reason. I cannot proclaim your holiness. I cannot proclaim your greatness. I cannot kiss towards you. That's exactly what worship means, to kiss toward, because I'm unclean in the lips. You'll remember that one of the seraphim takes, or an angel takes a coal and brings it down and touches the lips and the tongue of Isaiah. And at that point, he is cleansed from his iniquity, cleansed from that which separates him from God. And then he is able to make a proclamation. When the question is asked, who shall I send? He says, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm ready to go. That cleansing, that bringing into a position where he could stand before God, embedded within Isaiah a responsibility. Now remember last week, that's the point that we made that Jesus Christ came to this earth for two reasons. Number one, he came to reign, to reign as king. But for him to do that, and for you and me to be able to worship him and to worship the Father as we ought to, he had to also come to seek and save the lost, to put them in a position to worship God. Well, that's what we see with Isaiah. When he first enters, he's not able to worship God, but after he has been cleansed by that that cold touch to his lips, then he can proclaim, Here, my Lord, send me. And that's the idea that we're talking about. When we deal with our God and when we deal with our responsibility, there are two things that must be forefront in our minds. Number one, and this is number one in priority, this is number one in import of this list, number one, we must understand who God is. We must understand His character, His nature, that uh, He is the great sovereign that he is worthy of our praise, that he deserves our praise, that it is a privilege for us to be able to praise him. And then number two, we need to remember who we are, that we are frail creation, that we exist here 
because of God's grace and his mercy, that we exist here because of God's power. We are here because God created the heavens and the earth. Had he not done that, you and I would not be here. But not only that, we live and move and breathe in him. Were he not sustaining that creation at this very moment, you and I would not be here. The air we breathe, the food we eat, the very fact that you and I have the mental capacity to tune into this radio station at 7.30 Sunday mornings, to be able to gather together around God's Word, to speak words that are understandable and to understand those words, are all the mercy of God. And were He not caring for us, sustaining us, then we would not have this ability or any ability. We just simply would not be. And so we have to understand who we are. But not only that, we have to understand what we have done. We have fallen short of the king. We have fallen short of the king's requirements of what he desires of us and what he desires for us. But we have to also understand that we are a concern of Jehovah and that he loves us. He wants us to be able to stand with him. He wants to walk with us. If you want to know what God's plan for man is, go and read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. There he created creation. It is perfect. Man is innocent. Man is pure. Man has that relationship with God that God created him to have. But man transgressed the law of God. Man's the one that messed it up. Man's the one that has introduced all the calamity in the world. He's the one that's introduced all the sorrow into the world. Man's the one that has brought all of the, the hatred, the variances that we have between one another. He's the one that has brought in the vulgarity, the profanity. Man's the one that has brought in the filthiness of this world, the sorrows of this world, the pain of this world. God is the one that can remove those. And he has implemented a plan, and that plan has been brought to this world, revealed to this world, and now the plan is in force, and you and I can benefit from it if we will turn to the king, if we will have that attitude of what the king desires. We have another throne scene as we turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, in those two chapters, and it's the broadest throne scene that we have revealed for us. But in those two chapters, we see an emphasis that is there, an emphasis that is repeated from Isaiah chapter 6. As Isaiah beheld that throne scene, he heard the cherubim, the seraphim, the, the angels in heaven, and they were proclaiming, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the holiness of God, worthy of our praise. And when we turn to Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we see again a throne scene. We see in chapter 4 that throne. We see one sitting on the throne. This time it's God the Father on the throne. In chapter 5 we see the Lamb that was slain who was raised to reign to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Revelation 3 and verse 21. Worthy of praise. He is being praised. But as we see in this setting, we see again that proclamation of holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And we see him being worshipped and praised. As we look around that great throne that is there and the one sitting on the throne, we see that there are 24 elders. And what are they doing? They're worshipping the king. We see that there are four beasts that are there. What are they doing? They're worshipping the king. 
as we turn our attention to chapter 5 and our attention turns to the lamb that was slain who is worthy to be praised. Why? He's Jehovah. He's God. He fulfilled the plan of God. What do we see? We see him being praised. We see him being worshipped. We see that there are angels, thousands and thousands and ten thousands of thousands of angels worshipping him. Listen carefully to what it says there as we read in this context. It says there that the Lamb took the book that was in the hand of the one sitting on the throne in chapter 4. And it says in verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We're in his kingdom. We have his power, his delegated authority to us. And I beheld, verse 11, And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth for sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lived, liveth forever and ever. God being praised because he is king. Friends, you and I need to implant this thought in our minds. And you and I need to bow down to the king. Our time is gone this morning. We're going to continue this thought, Lord willing, next week. And we're going to continue the fact that we ought to be praising God. I hope that you'll tune in. Until then, let's each study our Bibles more and more.